I actually had a realtor ask me one time because I was fresh out of the gate going into this job um, or in this career field and it was all in. And the real estate agent had asked me, well, where it's basically the same question you just asked as far as where that drive comes from. And it, it really comes down to a no fail mentality um, or failure is not an option. Y you constantly run into conflict, constantly run into setbacks and whether that is career related or just mission related, but you still have to accomplish that mission. Um, and so to, just to throw in the towel, it's not an option. Welcome to the Veteran-Led Podcast, where we talk with leaders who use their military experiences to develop great organizations and continue to serve their communities. After I got out of the military, I decided to start my own company. Um, that company is called Guardian Home Inspections. So we are doing uh, real estate inspections, mostly for buyers, uh, but we can also do, for, do it for sellers as well. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's been busy. Um, but to your point, it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy. Um, that transition was not easy. Um, and just, just getting off the ground, um, wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Um, and if, if I can go back to when, when I did get out, so it was, it was a medical retirement, but it was after 20 years. So I had, I had time for, for a retirement. Um, but one of the, le the key lessons that I would tell people that are either planning on getting out of the military or if it's, or it's a possibility, start planning early on what it is you want to do. This, this happened to me very quickly. Um, and I was not prepared for the other side of it. I, my goal was to stay in the military for until they told me I had to leave. They told me I had to leave. It was just earlier than what, what I had planned. Um, so figuring out what it was, what was going to be next. Um, that's where the home inspection side came in. Um, and then developing the plan to move forward with it was a whole different, whole different set of rules. So you know you're going to get out at some point. Yep. No, it's like being an athlete. That career never lasts forever. And in fact, right. David, you were you ran track at the University of Oklahoma, and Tulsa. your career Tulsa. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. And your career was cut short by an injury. That's Isn't correct. That correct. Yep. What happened? Um, it was a steeplechase injury, actually. Um, I had fractured a bone in my foot at Oklahoma State at an outdoor meet, and that was. The, the ultimate reason was that could have, it could have been a red shirt situation, but I, with the injury, I, I just kind of got to a point where I was, I was done. Um, I knew the, I knew that I was done. And so I, I made that decision. So, but yeah, it, it, like you said, those careers, those endeavors will come to an end at some point. So having a plan for the backside, I'm, I'm a slow learner because even then I didn't have a plan of, okay, if I, if I don't choose to continue on this path, what am I going to do next? And that was kind of a fly by the seat of my pants then. And here we are 20 years later and we're still doing the same thing. So, so that was before you enlisted. Yes. So that was after I left Tulsa, I went to university of Nebraska, um, and, and then university of Nebraska at Kearney, that was right before nine 11 happened. So then when nine 11 happened that fall, that was kind of the catalyst obviously to, to join the military, the military had always been on, on the horizon, something I wanted to do, but that was really obviously the, and I'm sure with, with a lot of people that in our, in our generation, our kind of age range, that that was that was a big, it was either a big deciding point or it was a big, obviously, um, big event in their early military careers. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, it was I I got back from Bosnia in '99, and it all simmered down. I said, okay, well, by 2000, I was I was in law school, and then September 11th hits, and unfortunately, I was still in the reserve component, so I got to get back in and back in the swing of things and, and got the opportunity to deploy and, 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 and serve again. But it was, it was, it was a very important time in our lives. And once again, not something anyone had planned for, uh, for a lot of us, we didn't even think about, okay, 
at the time, they didn't seem that there was going to be any threats. It didn't no. see that there was going to be any, you know, the, the military future was, it was on a drawdown from uh, the first uh, Gulf War. And so it seemed like, you know, this is a drawdown, the military, not, you know, everything is safe. And then it happens. And you know, I don't see this as, as much different than planning for getting out of the military or plan, you know, getting that unexpected injury. It's something happens and you have to be ready. And if you're not planning ahead, you're going to get smoked. You're absolutely correct. Um, I was, I was lucky enough that the way that my retirement happened, I had a, at least a little bit of a glide slope essentially before I actually got out. So I had some time to course correct and figure out what it was going to be before I actually left the service. So in that nine months leading up to the actual retirement date, um, I utilized the, there's a program within the veteran or within the VA called VRNE. Um, I was I was qualified for that, so I used that to help pay for the training and the schooling. And VRNE, do you know what it stands for? It used to be vocational rehab and education. Now, I, now I believe it is veterans readiness and employment. Okay. Um, it's a program that that veterans uh, on their way out, or even while they're in, if they if they meet a certain criteria, and I don't want to like misquote it, but there's a certain criteria within the rating system uh, that if you qualify for that, they will help pay for you to go to additional schooling um, or job training to help place you into a career field post-military. So it was, it was a good opportunity, um, and it helped set me up, as, at least through the training aspect of it. Now, getting the business up and running, that was more kind of on, on my own, uh, kind of trial by error, learning as I was going. I don't have a business background, so it, was, it really was trial and, trial and error uh, up until the point where it was the, that last active duty check hit and it was kind of jumping into the deep end. So all of a sudden that direct deposit isn't coming in That's and you've correct. got the business. Now I know that there, I, I know some veterans who have started businesses and they, 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 they're small business loans and there's other ways that, that they can get started. Did you use any of those programs? I did not. And the reason why I didn't was the home inspection industry, at least from, from my experience, there wasn't, there wasn't a large overhead or a large starting cost. The, the VA had paid for my training, which, which was a substantial cost, but it was paid for by the VA. Um, and then as far as just getting up and out the door, it was very minimal. So I didn't have to go and, and utilize any of those types of loans or assets, I guess. And so in terms of you've got a business that has relatively low overhead, the, v, the your military experience, we owe you because you served, the VA pays for that training, and now you, you're out, you got a low overhead business. What challenges are you facing at this point when, when you first start off? This is, uh, the home inspection industry, is, it's one of those, it's one of those industries, at least, again, from my experience, it's not one of those things that everybody needs every day. There's obviously a, a demand for it, but it's not, it's, uh, just an example, like a coffee company or take your pick of something that people are, are constantly across a wide swath of people seeking out every day. This is something that is kind of specific if you're buying a house or you're selling a house and that's not everybody every day. So it's a referral type based business. Um, so the, the biggest challenge was getting my name out there and getting in front of realtors and or buyers and sellers on a private level uh, and saying, hey, I'm new to this game. Um, will you give me a shot? So that was that was the biggest upfront challenge. So do you know like what is the LTV, the lifetime value of a client? Are most of them one-time clients, or do they keep coming back to you? Or how does how does that work in the industry? So I have I have had a lot of one-time clients, and essentially, if someone is buying a house, they may be in that house for 10, 15, 20 years or more. Um, but I've also had a significant number of 
multiple, you know, um, occasion clients that have, that have used me on multiple occasions, um, that have either had me inspect a house and had fallen through, um, or there's significant issues that they decided to walk away from that, from that deal. And then they were impressed enough by the level of service that, that we had provided to say, okay, we found another house. We want you to come check this one out too. Great. Now, when you say we, now you have, when you started, were you, did you start off alone as a solopreneur or did you have someone else in your team at that so, point? So I started by myself. Um, and as, as that first year progressed, um, I knew that there was an opportunity to kind of scale up just a little bit. Um, and Bo Feltz, who was also in the National Guard, uh, was on his way out and retiring as well. And in our, in our conversations, we decided that, you know what, we can, I can bring you on. He has an extensive background or understanding of some, some construction aspects that, that as far as the building side of it goes, that I don't. Um, so he, he brings a different level of talent that, that, that complements, you know, some of my weaknesses, I guess, for lack of better terms. Um, so he came on board after he retired. And so now he is focusing right now anyway, on doing some of the handyman stuff, um, while I'm, while I'm kind of still, still steering the ship on the home inspection side, he's, he's, uh, he's doing some home inspections, but I know he's tied up with some, with some other projects right at the moment as well. And, you know, when it comes to home inspection, I think of, you know, really understanding whether standards have been met, mm -hmm. you know, you're going through the checklist and in my mind, it's not much different than when I had the TAC officers like you making sure that every candidate was qualified and evaluating them. The sticks lanes, for instance, you took the candidates on, you would, you would make sure, you, well, they were supposed to make sure that they that they they achieved every single standard but i know that that, that was part of your job was to make sure, was to, to to keep that checklist and if they didn't achieve the standard you had to say no you're you are a no go and we, we're going to have to retrain. And I take it it's the same way in the home inspection business where there are a lot of no go type of problems that you see so it, it is very similar to that. And um, I would say that the checklist aspect of it, for sure, the software program that, that I use, and I'm sure that other home inspectors use as well, it's very checklist driven. I mean, so when you show up at a house, you, I mean, it's kind of going down a checklist. And there's obviously things that, you know, anomalies that may show up that you're either adding in. Adding in um, but by and large, it is a checklist. Now, I also view it as not too dissimilar from a battalion staff meeting um, where I, as whatever staff officer, am am, I am presenting the information to the client or in a staff meeting would be, you know, battalion commander, and he is making the decision based on the information that he's receiving. So that client, that homeowner, hopefully soon to be a homeowner, is getting this information. I'm staying partial to it. I'm not, I'm not trying to sway them one way or the other. I'm giving them the best information that I can give them and allowing them to take that information and make that decision. Um, and the other thing, a lot of a lot of the stuff that we do find, I also make the the analogy of, if you go to a first care or like a like an emergency, you know, twenty um, four hour care type facility, they may tell you that your shoulder's messed up, but they're going to refer you to an orthopedist, right? Same type of thing where we can see what the problem is. Uh, there may be a defect or an issue that needs to be addressed, and we're going to refer that client to that specialist or that 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 specific discipline to have them come out and look at it and hopefully repair it. And you have a network with those specialists or those disciplines? Uh, we do. Over time, um, either either us as the home inspectors or the realtors that, they're, that that client is working with, they do have that network. They've, they've got their people that they've used and, and trust and are, are willing to say, I, I, I would recommend this person. So. Now, let me ask you this, because this is, you know, as a lawyer, I get this all the time, right? People can go online 
and get really bad information, whether it's about their VA disability benefits or a personal injury, a car accident, or a, a, a crime, and, and, they, and they go online and they, and, and they get misinformation, and then they end up trying to do it themselves, and they, and they run into problems. I, I imagine that that's fairly common in your industry as well, where someone who's not a professional can download a checklist, but once they start going through it, it, it's not whether you have the checklist and can check off the blocks, it's whether you actually understand every single word in that checklist and whether, uh, you know, whether you could actually have the experience to determine whether that, whether you can check the box or not. And I, I'd just be curious to hear whether that's an issue in your industry as well, whether it's the DIY of the internet, the internet experts, the keyboard warriors, who uh, the keyboard doctors, uh, the keyboard lawyers who, who, who go through. And, and unfortunately, because uh, it's very easy to get information, it is also very easy to get misinformation. So have you had to deal with that in your industry? Absolutely. And I, I think we see it on, on probably on both sides, whether we're inspecting a house and you can tell that, that um, an item within the house or a component within that house has been done by someone that does not have the experience or the or the knowledge to do that. Um, or um, we've run into people that want to want to purchase the house without going through a home inspection. Or they, you know, hey, my my dad's in, in construction, you know, or my my brother-in-law is going to come over and look at it. And that's great. I mean, as far as like they've obviously got some experience, but it goes back to the whole, um, you know conversation with the experience that we bring and the knowledge that we bring as far as we are we are not code inspectors but we are our knowledge and our our basis of pointing things out is based in building code so when we see something um, that it may look like it's right but we know that that's not going to function the way it's supposed to so we can we can call that out so yes there is a lot of misinformation um, or people will say well I want I'm just going to use the home inspection that that the previous client used four years ago on this house a lot can change in four years well you know there's people like me like you know I I don't know if you ever had to do all the personality tests. I went through the battalion command school. We had to do them all, like uh, Colby A, Print, Disc, uh, Gallup Strengths Finder. We had to do all of them. And you know, I, 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 and under the Colby, I'm a Colby A. I'm a quick start. Like I want to go. I want to do it. And if you tell me you need an inspection, I'm like, look, man, let, let, I want the inspection done tomorrow, or we're not doing it. We're gonna we're gonna move forward, right? Because I see the opportunity. I'm gonna make it work. I'm gonna jump, and the net will appear for me. Uh, but I, that's a dangerous thing when it's a big investment like a house. And have you had to? unravel some uh, some deals where maybe you had a client who jumped first without a net being present? Um, a few times. Uh, just, just I mean, that last example that I gave as far as someone wanting to use a previous inspection, a client, young, young couple, wanted to buy a house. Um, they wanted to use the uh, home inspection that the seller had, had purchased. Well, I recommended that, I get it. It means someone someone's got to come and do this again. It's going to slow things down just time a little bit. Time and money. Time and money. It's going to slow things down just a little bit. But I highly recommend it. And I and I get to the point where I'm like, I don't care if you use me and our company, or if you go and find another home inspector to come out and do this. But I would recommend you do it. They ultimately came back and said, Yeah, go ahead and and we'll have you do the inspection. Um, did the inspection, came back, and they made that decision based on the information that was provided to them not to purchase the house. Um, there was enough that was going on. They said, Yeah, we. This, this isn't a good idea. They were one of those couples that, that used me again for a second time. And we did end up, get, they ended up finding a house that worked for them that was, that was good. Um, so yes, there are, there are times when, when it, uh, yeah, you gotta, 
getting order the inspection, then the inspection's got to come out. The the benefit to us, and I'm, and hopefully other guys are doing the same thing. But benefit to us, if you call and said, hey, I want this inspection done right now, we can have somebody there within 24 hours, uh, if not faster, depending on where the location is. You're going to get the report on the same day as well. So it's we can make it very quick for you. Um, we just need the the heads up and the green light to do it. Yeah, I think that you know, it's a part of wisdom. Getting get as I've gotten older, I used to think I could do everything on my own, and now I realize that I shouldn't be doing anything on my own <laughs> except for w what I do best, right? And, th and that is that is practice law. So I, uh, you know, I had my first few houses. I would paint all the walls, do all the yard work, do everything. Uh, you know, my wife and I would clean everything. But now I started thinking, like, do I want to hire a lawyer who scrubs his own toilet? Right? Or do, or do I want someone who, who will take that time to focus on, on the law and, and, and spend their valuable time getting better at what they're doing? And so I, I found that, you know, in the past, I would, I would, when I was young and I had no money, it was all DIY. I'd try to figure it out myself. But those were very expensive lessons when I did it wrong. Absolutely. Right? When you try to do your own taxes, when you try to do your own home inspections, when you try to do these things that have huge financial risks attached to them, if you don't have a professional, you are taking a huge risk and it's an unnecessary risk. And yes, there's a, there's a cost of a home inspection. There's a cost of bringing a professional into anything, but the cost is greater when you do it on your own and you screw it up. It could be significantly greater. I mean, this was before I got into the industry of doing the home inspections, but if you go back to 2020, um, during the height of COVID when houses were, I mean, they were selling, I mean, within 30, 40 minutes of being listed. Um, and talking with realtors that, that have had conversations with about that time frame, there was such a push. I mean, it goes on the market. I mean, there was a bidding war and it sold. No inspection, nothing. Um, and it, that could be a very poor investment depending on what the issues that have now been discovered um, are. So, yes, and I'm not just saying this because it's my industry um, that I'm part of, but I would highly recommend if you're buying or selling a house to have a home inspection. And even on the seller side, um, you do a home inspection on what you know what they call a pre-listing inspection. They might, the inspector's going to come back with a report and give you an idea of some of the little things that maybe you can fix to help level that negotiation field on the back side of that. Some of the big things are still going to be there, but some of the little things that may be taken care of, it might it might help you as well on the sell on the selling side anyway. Right. So as a seller, you can see that all the things that are that Something, are wrong yeah. that that you can fix. Yep. And and you talked about during COVID how fast everything was moving. People wanted to buy uh, and I, there was there's a lot of demand, especially out in the less populated parts Absolutely. of the country where people could be away from the pandemic. And so you're out there and, and people are asking, hey, I, I need this done. I need this done now. And, and you've seen the cost of, of not getting it done, of not having the inspection. And it is one of those things where if you don't pay for it now, you're going to pay. You're going to pay a lot later. And it's a it's a. Yes, there is a cost to it, but it's a very overall minimal cost in comparison to what that house, what you're paying for that house over the course of its lifetime. So again, highly recommend both sides, but particularly if you're buying a house to get a home inspection done. Now, what about this VA loans? Does any of that apply? Do they require an inspection? How does, how does, how does that work? So they, they do require, um, they do require inspection for the most part and, and not being on the actual real estate side. Um, I, I don't want to get into too many details and, and step on my own, you know, step on, step on myself here, but they do require an inspection. Uh, and there's, I think, what I've run into is there's been an inspection done and then a VA inspection can also be done on top of that to make sure that everything is safe. They are, one thing I do know is they are a lot more 
stringent might not be the right word, but they are definitely looking for some of those standards as opposed to maybe like a conventional loan that they're just making sure that the house is, you know, worthy of being ha habitable, essentially. Um, but yeah, some of the things on, on a VA loan that, that would not seem like a big deal could definitely be a, a deal breaker. So if it is a VA loan that's, being t that's taking place, make sure that you are getting an inspection done for sure. I mean, they're probably going to require it anyway. But some of those little things are definitely going to slow the process down to get fixed. And I, I think that this is one of the, one of the great life, life lessons is that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And even as leaders, when we start, we just didn't know yep. things that we, sh we we learned later that, wow, yeah, I, I really should have known that. And, and first time home buyer, second time home buyer, third time home buyer, we simply don't know everything. We have to rely on professionals. So that being said, let's let's transition now to your military lessons that helped you overcome some of these some of the challenges of starting the business what has helped you that you learned in the military that's helped you grow your business and succeed i would say the, the number one skill from the military is it's not a hard skill it's not something that you learn in necessarily in school it has been the resilience aspect that the military teaches us you're in the military you're gonna you, you're going to get knocked down uh you're going to fail you're going to succeed but it's it's that ability to when you do fail to get back up take those lessons learned and continue moving forward towards that, towards that objective or towards that goal. So that's probably been the number one thing. Um, some of the other things that have been very crucial to, um, to, to, to this business, at least from, from our standpoint, are those, again, soft skills, the being on time. You know, one of our policies is, you know, if we're late, if we tell you we're going to be there at one o'clock and we're there at 101, your inspection's free. You know, we back plan to make sure that we're there in plenty of time, plan for those contingencies that may happen along the way. Um, but we're going to be we're going to be prompt. We're going to be on time, if not early. Um, the respect, you know, towards the client, um, just that ability to communicate with the client, get back to them. You know, if they send us a text message or an email, I'm getting back to them as soon as I possibly can. If I can't get to it right away, if I'm hanging upside down in an attic or something, uh, I'll let them know. Hey, give me give me 30 minutes. I'll, I'll call you right back or I'll text you when I, when I, when I can, but at least they know that I receive their information and I'm getting back to them. It's like being on the radio, right? Yep. You, you're in the Humvee, you get the call, you better, you better pick up. Yep. Right. And, and the expectation is that you be hyper responsive. And that's really how society is now. Uh, the consumer expects an immediate response. Absolutely. And so this isn't much different than the military where you had a demanding commander who you'd better be on the radio. Well, and you'd be, I think you'd be surprised at how many clients that I've talked to that are almost shocked with the response time as far as well, i'm really surprised you got back to us this this quickly um we've called three other people and they haven't called back um you're the first person that's called back all any of those types of responses is, are ones that we have received uh, and that's and that's just basic day-to-day -day life from from the military um so those soft skills i think have been at least in in the transition from my world in the military into this world those have been the translatable skills those soft skills that that are just taught along the way and, and ingrained in service members across the board. Yeah, I think the misconception, especially for civilians out there, is that we're just a bunch of hard chargers, you know, barrel-chested, steel-eyed killers, and that we, we only know how to give directions and knife-hand people. But the reality is, you know, as, especially as an officer, you have to learn how to work with your peers on staff. You have to learn how to, when you're deployed, to work with the, the, the local population. Yep. You can't just go in there heavy-handed all the time. You have to develop those soft skills. And when you're serving your customer, the customer, in many ways, is the commander. Absolutely. So when, when we're dealing with with clients um, or realtors, and and not and not all of them are are, are like are, are 
you know, they're not sticklers or whatever, but you might run into maybe a little bit of an adversarial, uh, maybe a little bit of friction as, as we're presenting our information to them. And so some of it is, I mean, you can't, you can't be heavy handed. I mean, you don't want to cause any more friction than the bad news maybe that you're already presenting to them. So some of it is that, that verbal presentation, that verbal, um, those skills that you learned in, in talking with, in just talking with, um, senior officers or even just your peers in presentations or um, developing the information that you are going to present to be able to to get the point across without causing either undue stress, undue alarm, or just additional friction. So those, those skills that you may not seem that important maybe at the time, they definitely translate and become very important on the other side of that military transition um, into, into whatever aspect of the civilian world you're going into because it's very impressive um, for for people who aren't used to dealing with that or seeing that it's like wow that's this person really does care about what they're doing so tell me this you've obviously used some of those skills that have helped you what, what are the goals for your business what's the bigger future that, that you plan for your company so right now we we do we we cover um the entire state of nebraska if we have to i've been as far west as scott's bluff and as far east as Crete. Um, and then, you know, pretty much from the north to south border and everywhere in between. That's just one person. And then recently at, with the addition of Bo, two of us now. But what we what I would like to see happen is a greater either presence or preference in the central Nebraska area. Um, and then if if it if it's feasible, um, you know, five, 10 years from now, be able to have representatives um, in some of those outlying, you know, further away areas that that could represent um, guardian home inspection because it's very easy. It's it would be very easy to scale this and and put that into someone's hand because it's essentially them working as as an independent individual um, without a lot of oversight. So it's it, it would take the right person with the right mentality, but it's definitely doable to be able to expand outward. So you have the systems in place. You obviously Absolutely. understand what the culture that you want. So how are you going to find that person that's going to help you scale? Or those people that are going to help you scale? Because it sounds like you find somebody, you're going to say, this is your AO. This is your area of operation. I'm. You've got all the tools. Go get it. And and if for me, that's like that's my dream, right? But for a lot of people, that they, they, they get intimidated. And, and, and you have to decide, is this someone who can handle it? Is this someone you're going to trust your brand name with? That's... And, and give them your systems, and then you're going to send them out you know, to another, to another state and they may, you know, they may run off with your information. They may do a terrible job and ruin your reputation. Uh, how are you going to decide who you're going to hire? So that's, that's, I think the biggest thing. And one of the things that I, I did, uh, when I brought, when I brought Bo in, into the fold, it was a situation where I trusted Bo. Um, he was, he was an NCO that I had worked with in the military for, for several years. Um, I knew that without he can he can operate without supervision, without um, necessarily uh, me telling him every every single minute of what what or how to do it. He he just gets the job done. So there was that already that trust established with with him. Um, you know, as, as far as bringing somebody else in, it would be that I think you brought it up, the lucky general. Uh, yeah, my other podcast. Yeah, yeah the lucky yeah, general. The lucky general. Um, but ha having that person who is who believes in the same the same core values as our company, um, someone who is, who wants to succeed, um, who, who has developed not only trust in us, but us in them and is, is a self starter, self-sufficient and wants to win. Yeah. And just for the listeners that have not tuned into the lucky general episode, I, please check it out. But essentially just so, just for context, uh, the lucky general is that individual that has already done what you 
want to do and is a proven leader. And th this goes back to Napoleon Bonaparte. When Napoleon was winning his wars, uh, the critics said, well, you're, it wasn't due to skill or strategy. You just had lucky generals, right? And then a century later, Eisenhower said, I'd rather have a lucky general, they win wars. So the, 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 in my mind, the, the lucky general is the person, number one, is the person who has done what you're gonna do, is a proven leader, but on the other hand, is not someone who's unlucky because unlucky people aren't on time. Unlucky people yep. don't do thorough inspections. Unlucky people blame all of their problems in life on somebody else. And so, yeah, maybe they are unlucky, but they're unlucky for a reason. They're unlucky because they lack accountability, they lack drive, they lack determination, and you can't trust them because you can't trust luck. But if you have a lucky general, you know that they will never attribute their success to luck. They will attribute their success to the team, the conditions on the battlefield, to the strategy, to the great leadership, to the host nation. But they will never say, we won because of luck. And they will never blame luck for losing. Correct. And you brought up a good point with the thorough inspections and, and the experience. So. Truth, you know, truth in advertising, I had no home inspection experience when I started this, but it was those skills um, from not only the military, but law enforcement, um, the thoroughness, the, the attention to detail that really translated. So I'm, I would not necessarily be looking for a previous home inspector or even a previous contractor, but someone who has that attention to detail. Um, and I, I joke with realtors when I go and give presentations, this, doing a home inspection, as far as that checklist aspect of it, or as, as far as that attention to detail, isn't that much different than when I used to do search warrants. I'm just looking for different things, you know, and hopefully I'm not finding the same things that, uh, that I used to find. But, but, but to that point, it, it is, it's, very, it's a very systematic, very thorough inspection, just like a search warrant um, and, and documenting what you find, just like law enforcement or the military. We're documenting, we're putting, we're putting cons clear, concise information down and then presenting it to the, uh, to the client. So yes, someone with those types of attributes uh, and that type of drive could easily step in and and scale this um, and be a very de decentralized um, system. And, and full disclosure to our listeners, back before I even knew that you were in the military, it was probably 15 years ago, I was uh, I had a case out in Kearney, Nebraska, trial, and I cross-examined you. And yep. I was trying to break you on the stand, trying to catch you in a lie, trying to catch you in an inconsistency. And of course, you you, you stood your ground and, 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 and you did a phenomenal job testifying. Well, I appreciate it. And then later, uh, you know, you, you worked for me as a TAC officer and, and it was the same level of uh, attention to detail, honesty, thoroughness. And I'll just tell you, you know, as a lawyer, when I get someone on the stand and they're being a little bit deceptive, that that's my field day, right? That's where I can really go after. But when someone is being straightforward and honest and answering the question and even conceding the things they did wrong, Absolutely. that's a very tough cross-examination cross for me. That makes my job really tough because when you're being truthful and honest and the judge and the jury see that, and I'm trying to beat you up and everything, and you screwed something up and you say, yeah, I screwed that up. That just builds your credibility as opposed to, you know, some witnesses will lie and say, no, I did that right. And then I say, oh, really? Well, let's talk about that. And then, then I just, they keep digging in deeper and then, and then they, they, they just bleed out with a thousand, they, it's like a thousand uh, paper cuts. Yep. They just, they just bleed out on the witness stand. And by the time I'm done, they have zero credibility, but you maintained your credibility. And of course the jury liked you because you're a Marine, but, but the important thing was you told the truth and you admitted when you made mistakes and that only built your credibility. And I found that that is also true in business. We all make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And if we can tell our clients or our customers, hey, you know what? We didn't do this 
to standard, not to our, maybe, you know, maybe the competitors probably think this is a standard, but it's not to our standard. And we want to let you know that we're going to make this right. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that, I've oh, always been straightforward about that. Absolutely. And going back to your point with, uh, with the, in the courtroom, um, you must have caught me a little bit after I'd already learned my lesson about that because I, right out of the gate as, as a new officer, I, I, I could be very combative on the stand or it became, it was very adversarial. Uh, but as I learned my lesson, it, absolutely. If you just exactly what happened, yep, I forgot to put that in the report or I, I didn't put that in there, right? Or nope, this is, this is why I made the stop. It, and, and not to, uh, not to go against or talk about your tactics, but it was, it, it really did. It kind of shut things down. Um, where like before when I was on the more adversarial side, all of a sudden it was just, like you said, I mean, the, the, the doors came off and, and then I'm, you're just sitting there sweating. So yeah, once you learn that like, you don't have to, I mean, just tell the truth up there and same thing going to, going back to this, this part of it. Yeah. There's times where, um, just, uh, a boring example, but you know, you go to house and maybe the attic isn't accessible. Now we do go in the attics. Um, if it's, if it's insulations covering the the trusses or the or the rafters we won't cross into that just because we don't want to give someone a skylight they didn't ask for uh, <laughs> but but we will do our best to get as much inspected as we can but if there's something blocking or it's unsafe to do so we will let the client know and the realtor know that hey this is what's going on we're more than happy to come back if you know the 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 seller or the seller's representative can move this for us we don't want to move stuff because we don't want to break it. You know, that really is the, is the, is the gist of that. It's not because we're being lazy, but if there's something in the way, something that's valuable, I don't want to take a chance of damaging that property. Uh, I'm sure that the, the client doesn't want their stuff broken, even if it is an accident. So we'll let them move it. And once it's moved, I have no problem going back to a house that we've already done. Um, and in fact, we've done it several times. Uh, if we can't, if we can't get to something, we'll let them know that, yep, like you said, this is not to, to our standard. Um, we'd be happy to come back and, and take a look at it again. Since starting this business now that you're at about a year, what help have you received from the veteran community outside the VA? Or have, have you reached out to anybody for business advice or help or marketing or collaborations? Um, as, as far as um, like the, the overall, the, the big veteran community, like the VA or, or anything like that, when I went through my retirement process, there was an opportunity to go to a boots, boots to Business program that was on Fort Riley. Um, Schedules didn't work out and I wasn't able to make it to that one. I would have loved to have gone to that. Um, it may still be something that we can take part in. I don't know. Um, but as far as the veteran community, it's been great. The veteran community as a whole has been, has been great. And we, and we do um, repay that. If you're a veteran or a first responder, we, we do a 10% discount. Um, and we also donate to, to veteran charities as well. And, th and that's one of the things, you know, I think is really important in the veteran community is we want to do business with other veterans because mm -hmm. we know, like, and trust veterans. And we, th there's a shared value system Absolutely. there. And, and generally speaking, now, now we, there are dirt bags in any, in any, in any sure. groups, right? <laughs> and, and the, but, but generally speaking, um, when we work with other veterans, we find that just the the level of connection is, is, is so, is so much better that the communication is better. Uh, the expectations are built are more realistic and we feel like we're working with with our heroes so we really don't want to let you down and when i'm working with a veteran i know that i'm working with someone uh, who raised their hand and sort of support and defend the constitution of the united states made that sacrifice and i and i want to make sure that i'm protecting my veteran clients i want to make sure that they feel like i am giving them the service that they earned by serving our country i, I want to make sure Absolutely. that i'm giving back because the reality is there is no way we can repay the 
the veterans who who made that sacrifice. And, and I know you have you have a wife, you have four kids when you were serving. This is not easy being a parent, being away from home. And then you came back and you started your own company. This is why it, this episode is so important to me on veteran led because I've got a lot of people that have. Hey, they, they've been in business for 20 years plus after, after service and, and they forget how hard it is, but you know, you're, you're fresh in the, in the start over block, right? The, the, uh, I didn't want to say you got a no-go, but it is, it is like showing up being a second Lieutenant again, all of a Absolutely. sudden now it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know and, and no one's telling you how to do it, what to do. And my question to you is, where do you get the drive to keep doing it? Because no one really wants to be a second lieutenant again, but now you're learning everything and you're taking the hard knocks again. Where does that drive, that resilience come from? So, and and I'll, I'll answer that. And then I did want to bring up something as far as the mistakes that I've made along the way too. Uh, but so I actually had a realtor ask me one time because I was fresh out of the gate going into this job um, or in this career field and it was all in. I mean, I, I put a wrap on my truck, um, went for the went for the packages as far as the things that I could offer clients that no one else was doing. Um, it was it was an all in mentality, and the real estate agent had asked me, well, where it's basically the same question you just asked as far as where that drive comes from, and it, it really comes down to a no fail mentality um, or failure is not an option. Um, this is this is what I have done, and the setbacks that, that will inevitably come that ha- that already have come. Um, it's it's that ability to say, okay, this is what I've learned from it. Um, this is this is where I met that resistance or that friction. How do I get around it, um, or what do I need to improve on, or services can I uh, offer um, that are that are better suited for the client? And that ability just to say, this isn't the end of the world. Um, this is just a roadblock and to keep moving forward because, and, and that, that really does come from the military. I mean, you know it as well as I do that, that y- you constantly run into conflict, constantly run into setbacks and whether that is career related or just mission related, but you still have to accomplish that mission. Um, and so to, just to throw in the towel, it's not an option. And that's why I wanted that all in mentality because it kind of gives you that, okay, I don't really have another option. You know, burn I'm, the bridges, I'm, burn the ships. I'm, I'm going to win. Uh, or I mean, win's not the right word. It, it is and it isn't. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to meet the goals that I've set for myself. Overcoming challenges along the way. Um, but that was one of those things going back to the beginning um, with issues or with um, unforeseen things that happen and that other veterans might run into if they're starting their own business. Um, lessons learned. The minute you the, the minute that you submit and receive your LLC or whatever you're doing, um, it seems like the phone starts ringing. You know, all these people are you know, hey, we got we got your number. Uh, you know, we'd love to run an advertisement for you. Right. Well, guess guess who fell for a lot of those? You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, all the all the marketing. All yeah, the, oh yeah. Oh, all yeah. the all the golf courses in in Central Nebraska have I think a picture of our company in their you know scorebooks. And were but, you able to chat? Were you able to track the return on investment? Well, on that? I, that's that's where I was going to go with it. <laughs> uh, the return has been zero. You know, um, and I mean at least to my knowledge. Now someone may have seen it and called us, but I I no one has said, hey, I saw your ad in you know, the, the Gibbon golf course, um, scorecard or, or Warry dunes or, you know, any of those places that we were 
I've never heard anybody say they, that's where they saw us. Um, it really has been. And so that's what I would, that's what I would tell as far as advice to other veterans. Don't fall for all the, like the, 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 the marketing stuff. It's kind of like a baby rattlesnake. You get so excited that you're, you know, you can't control it. Like this is, this is the greatest idea ever. Everyone's going to love it. And then nothing. And you spend and a lot. Of, all your venom is gone. All your you venom and venom in that case is the money, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, don't, that, yeah, here, here's the lesson, right? When you're starting off, Direct response marketing is the way to go. Yep. You have to be able to track it. Look, like right now, I've got a lot of billboards. I've got you know all the all the marketing that is would be called branding or advertising. But the reality is, when you're starting off, you really want that direct response, something you can track, and you can do that on social media. You know, you can do it on pay per click, search engine optimization. There are yep. some tools you can use out there. But you build your website, and, and there are certain things you can you can track. Even direct mailers, where you have a, a add a specific phone number on that, so you can track it back to the mail. But whatever advertising you're doing, uh, when you start off, direct response, you got to be able to track it because you're right. If you throw your name out there and nobody knows who you are, it doesn't matter. Now, once you nail direct response and you start getting a bunch of leads and, and you're building a client base and it's big enough that you realize, hey, I'm starting to... I'm starting to tap out here. Like I, I think, I think I've I've hit my max or bottom. I've hit my max. I'm bottoming out here. I can't get any more clients from from the direct response. Now it's time to go branding and go bigger. And what I found is the branding doesn't necessarily bring you new people. In fact, it's more of the same people. When I started doing the TV and the billboards and the radio, I would get calls from people who already knew me. But I was top of mind for them. Yep. And that was the difference. They already knew who I was. They knew what I did. They're like, yeah, you know, I haven't talked to you for like 10 years. John. How are things going? And I, I saw your I saw your billboard and I, I wanted to reach out to you. So those things can help, but they're not a day one uh, strategy. They're more when you hit the seven figures, eight figures, and you and you and you and you're starting to plateau and you realize like, you know, I, I need more opportunities. So I've also talked to a lot of professionals who say, you know what, I do all digital, I do all direct response, and I will never do branding, I will never do the traditional advertising, because my ROI continues to grow because I'm so dialed in and I'm keeping track of all my metrics, I know it works, I'm A-B testing everything, and that that's great, you know, if it works for you, it works for you, but I, uh, the mistake you made, I, you know, I, I fell for that early on too, where it's like, yeah, I'm not a bunch of, uh, branding. Well, nobody cares what your brand are until they know who you are yeah, and what and you do. And that's, and that has been absolutely spot on. The one thing, as far as other veterans that are starting out, um, what I would, what I would consider is making sure that if you, if it's a, if it's a business you're doing that has the, the, the necessity for a website, make sure you invest in a good website because to your point earlier, that digital investigation that people that people will look into see who you are a, a, a good squared away clean website makes a huge difference um, but then that that seo or those google reviews are huge um, i've had more people say that hey you know i typed in you know home inspection near me or home inspection in carney nebraska whatever the case might be and they see the google reviews and they read those and that has been where you know the money has been made more so than any advertising or any you know one liked facebook post that people just scroll right by so it is your online reputation. Yep. And, and and you have to protect it. And you know, you have to if you want anything in life, whether it's a review or a referral, you have to ask for it. And I like to tell you, know, I have to tell clients, look, I want to provide you a five-star experience. And if at any time we're failing to do that, let me know. Because that that feedback helps me build a better company, build a better team, and address those issues. Because most of the people who are dissatisfied with your performance aren't going to tell you. 
But if you're upfront about it and say, look, I really would appreciate the feedback Absolutely. and I, I'm, I'm receptive to it, they're much more likely to actually tell you when you're not meeting their expectations. Absolutely. And it also, I mean, like that's, that's exactly right. If, to be able to, and also to be able to see that and to, for someone to see that, yes, there are people who have reviewed this and there's a response. There's a response as far as an action that is or will be taken to either fix it or to improve on it or to continue doing what they're doing. It, it's, it's real and, and clients that are, that are investigating, trying to figure out if this is the company they want to look, that may be the first thing they see and they start looking at the website and, and, and then they give us a call. Um, so yeah, that, those have been those have been the money makers more so than any of the other crazy advertising stuff that I tried early on. Um, that was just one of the pitfalls along the way. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it is it's the social proof from yep. from from real people. And I've noticed you know you can do that for every every part of your business. You know, from the from the you know the intake or sales team all the way through you know the individuals who are servicing your clients um, to to the the bookkeeping and accounting piece. And, you know, I've had this where where I'll just give you an example. A lawyer did a phenomenal job, you know, pulled off a miracle for a client. And then because the billing was screwed up, the client was upset, right? And so yeah. it was like this is horrible service, you know, and it's and and they're mad because the billing was wrong. And but you know, I gotta own that. And then the problem is, you know, I as the leader have to go back to that lawyer and say, you did a phenomenal job and you should be getting referrals from this, but you know, I, as the leader, failed to ensure that the uh, finance team was sending out timely, accurately, uh, timely and accurate bills, and 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 and, and you know, and, and that that's the problem. And so, uh, it's it's on me as the leader to ensure that happens because we've had to have more. The the lawyer gets a great result, and then we fail to get the bill out for two to three months, and the client's like, "Well, I didn't even know I owed anything." <laughs> and, and it's so it's just one of those things that is is frustrating, especially for the team member who really went all in. Yep. And then they're like, you know, they're expecting a five-star review. They're expecting referrals because they did a phenomenal job. And then me, as the leader, didn't make sure that that other system was working properly. And now one of my team members is getting dinged because of it. And that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with as a leader. And that was one of the lessons that I learned um, in terms of that feedback and being able to action it. Something that I didn't even see. Um, I had got a an email slash review from a client who I'd done the inspection for. Um, and they ultimately walked away from the house because there, there were so many issues from it. Um, and thinking, hey, this is a great deal. The problem is, is that my back office suite that I have that's geared towards a little bit of marketing, but also follow up um, and then offering some of the things that we offer as ancillary items, I had it turned way up. And so this person, it must have been their like dream house because they were furious that I was following up. Like every, you know, the, the first one comes at like three days and then another one at 10 days. And they they lit me up. I mean, this is this was the worst experience ever. Stop emailing me. And I was like, whoa, wait, I haven't even. So I had to go back and look at my like back office. I'm like, okay, I need to turn this down because I know as, me as a client, I probably wouldn't want to just get bombarded with junk either. So I turned that down at that point. That was early on. So again, just one of those things to, to learn from and, and to help make that client experience better. So those mistakes, we kind of talked about the, the, the learning lessons, the, the moving forward. The resilience piece comes from being able to take a, take a look at what you're doing, whether it's right or wrong. If you're failing, if you're falling down, how do you pick yourself back up? Uh, take, take a look at yourself and say, okay, I, I messed up. I messed this up, even though I thought it was a great idea. How do I change that? Because it's not about me. It's about servicing the client. Uh, 
Well, I, I love that example because the client experience experts are telling you, you need to get more touches with your client. You need to be more in touch. You need to send them Absolutely. You know, emails and text messages. And look, I, I love that one. You know, I've got a like a medical appointment and I get a text message a week before mm -hmm. the day of. I appreciate that because I have so much going on that Absolutely. you know even if it's on my calendar, I may I may forget about it. So I I, I, I like the refreshers, but there, there there's a tipping point. And the people who want to sell you the product will tell you, oh, no, you need this product that's going to, you know, this client, the CRM tool, the client relationship management yep. tool that's going to make sure that, that you stay in touch. And, and then what's going to happen is they're going to have such a great experience. They're going to refer a bunch of uh, more business to you and, and they're going to you're going to be taken care of and you won't even have to do anything because it's all automated. Right. And that's the biggest lie, because the reality is, even if you automate it, you have to check it you to make to, sure it's absolutely. working. And then you have to gauge the amount of risk you want to take in over communicating with your clients. <laughs> yep. And look, I've had clients who say, you know, who really want me to be hyper communicative. Then I have other clients that say, you know what, every time I think about my, my case, it gives me anxiety. So I don't want to talk to you. I'm paying you to solve the problem. Don't call me. Don't send me letters. Let me know when it's done. Let me know what I need to do, but just don't bother me. And you know what? I, I respect those clients because they're like, hey, you're the professional. I'm paying you. You don't need to keep communicating with me. Yep. Uh, but then on the other hand, I've also uh, had experiences where someone has an expectation they're going to call every single day. Yep. And, and it's, it's tough to manage that because uh, everybody's different. And so you have to say, what are the standards that I'm going to set as a business owner? And how am I going to communicate those standards to my client? And then how am I going to maintain that accountability to ensure that I achieve those standards? Absolutely. And that's, and that's, that was my, I, I guess my enlightening moment, I guess, uh, because I thought everything was, was going smooth and maybe there was other clients who were having the same thoughts. This is, this is ridiculous. I don't need to hear from your company every three days or every week. Um, I mean, I'm, I'll be the first day. Like I get it. It's a home inspection company. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the, uh, you know, whatever fortune 500 It's not, it's, it, this is something that is a very pinpointed item needed at a, at a specific time in, in space. Um, it's not, it's not something that people probably want to think about every day unless it's affecting them right now. So, so yes, I don't, I, I had to take a step back and say, if I was the client, what would I want? Yes, we do have reminders set up. Um, so that comes on the front side, but on the back side, I had to turn that down because I know that me as a client, if I was a client, I wouldn't want every time I open my email or every time I open my text message that, okay, I don't care anymore, dude. Like just, just stop. So I just say, okay, what, what would be appropriate for me and kind of find that, kind of find that medium. Um, cause I'm, I'm more on the camp of like, leave me alone, but I, <laughs> but I know there's people who do want, so it's just a little bit kind of in the middle there, but, but yeah, it was, it was a lesson learned and Hey, I, I responded back and said, Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the feedback. Um, we'll, we'll make adjustments to make sure that, uh, the future clients aren't, aren't feeling the same way you are. So. And, and feedback is a gift and we, we, we know that. And, but I do, I, I, I do think it's such a tough tightrope to walk because in your industry, that home purchase may be the biggest investment this person's ever made in their life. And they are anxious about it and they want that information. And so you want to make sure that you're communicating with them enough that they feel like they're a priority to you. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't, yeah, you don't want to drown them in information. Yeah. It's, and that's <laughs> because I think we were talking about it before we started rolling, but you know, I mean, some, some of the serious Facebook posts that we post and we, and we've had a decent following on our Facebook page, but if we post something serious or some of the, um, some of the items that we offer, you may have one person, you can see the engagement, you can see what people are looking at, but people are, are going by it. 
you might get one like, but it's the ones that we've we've come up with some, you know, found or stolen some funny meme, you know, related to the home inspection industry or, you know, a, a picture of us doing something, you know, goofy. Those are the ones that people like, you know. So, yeah, it's that having the ability to stay on top of somebody's mind and, and in front of their thought process, but not bombarding with with just another sales pitch. Because I don't think people, I think people are, are tired of the of the constant sales pitches and. And so I, I try to I try to uh, I try to eliminate that as much as I can. Yeah, and that's a tough thing. On social media, you gotta give the people what they want. And the reality is a cringeworthy video about home inspections may go viral, right? If it's <laughs> probably, so bad. But if you provide right, a great I, education. I can probably do that too. <laughs> yeah. But if you provide a great educational piece, most people don't want that. They're like, what are you doing in my feed? I don't care about home inspections. Yep, exactly. Well, I guess, you know, but now Facebook can listen to you and they yeah. can jump well, on your yeah, phone yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden now you're in their feed. But but the point is you know, you have to give them what they want. And on social media, people want to be social. And so what I, as you probably know, if you have a company Facebook page yep. or, or whatever social media page it is, the the ROI on organic traffic is garbage because they figured out that, that they can make a lot of money if they make you pay for it. Yep. But your personal contacts, the people that already know, like, and trust David Stott are more interested in what David's doing. They'll think about Guardian Home Inspections when they think about David. They don't care about what's on the Guardian Home Inspection yep. page. Now, I will tell you, you still need to have a business page because it's like, like you said, as a cop, you're investigating people and the consumers are investigating us. So they want to see, does David Stott have a page? Does Guardian Home Inspection have a page? Is there traffic? Is there movement? Is, is, it, yeah. is it something that is that is current um absolutely and and that's just you know that's just, that's just part of it so i think it, it's one of the things where we have to do it and try not to be annoying yep um, <laughs> that's the, yeah that that's the challenge is 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 being active but not being annoying and and finding the content to, to get people to, to to come into that that community or in, into your into your business yeah and i think it was seth godin who said good advertising gets people to look Great advertising gets people to stop and stare. Yep. And I believe the one step up is if you can get people to talk about it right now, all yep. of a sudden you're taking up space in their brain right free because they're they're, they're talking about the, the, the advertising and, and even if they're making fun of you. And, and, and some people yeah. have done this great. I'm not you know a big fan. I've seen self-deprecating humor go wrong, <laughs> go very wrong. But it, it, there's something to be said for a little bit of vulnerability and honesty in, 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 when you're trying to communicate with potential Absolutely. clients where they can say, yeah, like this is a real real guy, right? This yep. is a real person. And I think that, that 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 can make all the difference. So let's move on to the after action review. This yep. is where we talk about leadership. What I want to hear about is your three best examples of leadership, either that you that, that you personally exhibited or that you saw from another leader, uh, civilian or military. What are those top three? Going all the way back to Marine Corps boot camp, um, I had a drill instructor who, who broke it down to us and said, it doesn't matter what your rank is, um, you know, you could be, you could be the most senior person in the room, but that does not mean that you're the smartest person in the room. So he, he gave us that ability to understand being humble or being able to take information or take input or take, become a follower, maybe in some cases to someone who is junior or someone who may not be less or maybe less experienced, but that private might come in with more life experience in that one particular area. And he might have the best idea in the room. He might be the newest guy there. That was the point of that was like, don't, don't shut down, you know, people who may not be um, to your same level, whether it's seniority or rank, be open to all ideas. So that was probably the, the very first example of good leadership that I had. Um, the second one I would say is leaders who have um, 
really focused on mentorship um, in the realm of leadership um, to develop their subordinates. And this, and I say this genuinely, this has nothing to do with the fact that I'm on your podcast, but I've, uh, in discussions with other people, you've been one of the most influential leaders in my military career. Um, and genuine, and that's being genuine. Um, one of the things that you did so well as the, the TAC battalion commander or the OCS battalion commander was you, you mentored us as TACs, um, and you, and you provided that, that leadership, not only example, but the ability to, to learn leadership as we were going, especially at a crucial stage in our careers as maybe senior lieutenants or younger captains. Um, so that was, that was a, that was a crucial moment, uh, as far as good leadership for me. So, so thank you for that. Um, and then I would say the third example of good leadership that I've had in the military are the leaders who are not micromanaging. Um, and I, I understand that that comes with a level of trust. You know, if you can trust your people and you know that the, what they're capable of doing, um, you know, that, hey, this is the mission, make it happen. Um, knowing that their people are going to get things done. Because then it goes back uphill too, because you know that person trusts you, so you don't want to let them down. Um, so those have, those have been the three examples of leadership that, that have really stuck with me as far as positives. Well, I, I appreciate the compliments. I have to you know, be brutally honest about that. You know, it, I found it easier in the military to be that mentoring leader because the military was forgiving. It's in a training environment, right? I mean, if we're downrange, if we're on a deployment, then I'm not going to let the captain do something stupid. But if I'm mentoring a captain on the Army's dime, right, and, and we're doing a training exercise, I have the luxury of saying, hey, captain, you sure you want to do that? And, and I had the luxury of talking to him as we walked to the chow hall in, in a non-confrontational you know, way, but as a much more as a mentoring, uh, mentoring environment. And the military can be such a mentoring and nurturing mm -hmm. environment. And it's so tough in the civilian world when there are real dollars on the line, your reputation and the mistakes, the mistakes can cost you everything. It's tougher to be that. And that's where I have really struggled as a mentor. So I'm glad you got to see me when, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I was good at it. But I, it's one of those areas where I struggle every single day to be that calm, patient, mature leader, because man, I'm a fireball. I want to go in there. I want to win. And it's tough to slow it down. And when, when, when I have, like when you were a, a young captain, I was able to say, okay, let's, you know, let's really talk about where you want to be in life. And let's talk about why these leadership lessons matter. Let's talk about how you're going to get there. And I can shut up and listen to the questions. But as a business owner, like half the time, I know the answer already. And I'm so impatient. I'm like, okay, look, we're not going to spend 30 minutes while you figure it out. I'm going to tell you what needs to happen. And that is where I, I have failed time and time again. So it's refreshing to hear that, but I can tell you that is me in one context. I'm not as good at that as a, as a civilian leader. Well, you know, I, I remember back to those days as a TAC when we would come to you and say, hey, we've got this great idea of this is what we want to do with the candidates. And you would sit back and, and you would evaluate it and be like, yeah, go for it. You know, and then we could, we could always come back later and say, well, was it effective or not? But there was, there was a lot of latitude as far as the left and right limits within, within the, you know, the SOP of that program that you were able to provide to us to not only develop ourselves, but develop those candidates who, who we were instructing and or, you know, leading on that cadre side. So, so yeah, you know, that, that was huge. And, I, I'm, and I'm not just speaking for me. I know in talking with the others that were there at the same time, and even the candidates that were there at the same time, you, you were very influential in, in all of our military careers and our personal lives as well. So... So again, thank you.
Well, thank you for that. And I, and I wish I could be the same way in the business side. Although I will tell you, the best leaders in my organization are ones that I have the least communication with. Because I'm like, hey, go do it. Go do yep. your mission. I trust you. If you need help, I'm here. But And those are the leaders that I loved, right? The ones that would say, John, here's a mission. Go do it. If you need anything, come find me. Because like, let me go, man. Just let me run free and let me solve the problem. And the best leaders uh, do that. And obviously, that's that's what you did when you when you, when you you were on my team was that you figured it out. But then to your point right there, that, that, last, that last bullet with... When you have those people, your your subordinates now, and then you as as far as your preferred style of just just going, you you didn't want to let that person down, and and I know that for me too. I love it when they're like, hey, "This is the job, just go do it." Because at that point, I have the freedom to to make things happen without having to constantly go back and forth for permission or for you know, there's there's touch points along the way, right? But but that freedom, I don't want to let that. You know, you as a boss, I don't want to let you down. I'm sure your subordinate the same way. Like, hey, cool, he's letting us letting us do our job. I'm not going to let him down. So that I mean, that's a sign of a of a good leader um, as far as that trust, both up and down the the chain of command. So, cool. Well, now we've talked about three up. Now let's talk about the three <laughs> bad examples of leadership. Um, I would say I would say the number one is probably either, well, probably close between number one and number two, but micromanaging. Um, that I, and I think most people, whether it's military or civilian world. Is, is it that is that's drives me nuts um it's it's just that inability to get anything done or um when you do get something done and it's done to standard it's done or it's or it's done at least right but someone constantly over your shoulder telling you you didn't do it right you, gotta, you know it's and if you didn't do it right you didn't do it right I, I get that but when the mission is accomplished but they're just constantly sharpshooting you there's an issue with that. No, that, that that's my wife. And let me tell you something. We I, I've tried. You know, I've, I've tried about ten cases with her, and we've won nine out of the ten jury trials. And, and working together, she's she's phenomenal. She's she's brilliant. But for me, winning solves all problems. So we win. We get the verdict. We're happy. And she's still mad about the other. Now I we still have the after action review. We say these things went well. These things went mm -hmm. wrong. That's what we could have done better. But she's still fired up about those things. And I'm like, you know what? Celebrate the win. Take a couple minutes to breathe it in, <laughs> and and then let's you know. But 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 she is like, no, I want more accountability. I want this. I want that. And I'm like, wow. Like so, she is. She's a bit of a micromanager. But I can tell you, that's what makes her so good. She is so obsessed with all of the details and you Absolutely. need people like that in your organization but for me winning solves most of the problems and uh, and I can let go yeah. but I think for some leaders it is the micromanagement piece that holds them back from being great leaders and if you run a company the whole goal the, the end state is letting go of things like at the end of the day right all I want to do is the things that I'm best at. So I want to turn over every single piece. I want to turn over the sales piece, the marketing piece, the logistics piece, the finance piece, uh, most of the operations pieces. I just want to do the things that I think I'm really good at. And and, and, and as a leader, it's really tough to let go. And mm -hmm. that's where micromanagement comes in is we're so, as leaders, we're responsible for everything. And it's so tough to hand over the responsibility to somebody else. But we learn when we have great NCOs, great first sergeant, great platoon sergeant, you just let them run. and and. And they tell you, hey, sir, go get a haircut. Hey, sir, uh, I got this. And you just say, Roger, Sergeant, yep. and you you get out of their way. And that and and there's been times, um, and luckily, I, I and hopefully, hopefully others would would see it the same way I did. I tried my my best not to have micromanagement in my leadership style. I didn't like it, so I didn't want to put anybody else through that. But I could see it from others, um, you know, looking at somebody else or even when being in close proximity to it. 
And then you start getting that that pushback or that friction, especially like from the NCOs that are, I mean, these guys are the experts or your staff officers who are, who are the, the not, maybe not staff officers, but the staff, you know, sections, they are the ones who are, who are, who are proficient in this. They're, they're used to it. They're experienced in it, but you got somebody who's telling them like, this is how you do it. This is what it says. Yeah, they're, I mean, yes and no, but the, you know how it goes. I mean, there's, there's the book answer and then there's the real world answer. So we got to get this done. This is, we're still going to get it done to standard. So you run into that pushback, especially like those experts with the NCOs that they know what they're doing. So get out of their way and and let them let them accomplish their mission. And they're they're gonna they're not gonna let you down because they don't want to they don't want to lose. So you know it's just a, it's a win win situation for everybody. And I, I'll just tell you, I have really struggled to mentor some of those micromanagers. I had a micromanager that always had to be right about everything. And you know, there's no old saying, do you want to be rich or do you want to be right? You know, and in marriage, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? And uh, and this this leader would, you know, say, well, this is the answer. And was always so confident about the answer, but was wrong half the time and lost all credibility with the subordinate leaders because yep. this leader was so such a micromanager. Yep. That, that 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 she just had to be right. Had to be right every single and and a lot of times she was wrong and and you know her subordinates then would go look it up and say, uh, actually you're wrong and then that leader would couldn't accept that the deals in yep here's the papers <laughs> here's here's you know here's the law here's the statute in, in black and white and they wouldn't accept well that's not you know and I was like okay you know and it's having to talk to that leader and saying look you know it, it, being a leader doesn't mean being right all the time. Being a leader means getting to the right answer. And usually it's to facilitate that, yep. not for you to find it. And you need to facilitate your team members getting the right answer, not you. And that'd be a, that would be a good one to add as far as a description into those into the, the good leader style, the facilitator. Uh, and that, that's a great way to put that is the facilitators, are the ones that can really capitalize on the strengths of their entire team to get things done and kind of put their ego in check and 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 just let the victory happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a great, I, sh I should have added that one in there too. So that'll be tied for some, some police in there. Okay. That's so great. two more bad, leaders, right. two more bad leadership uh, examples. Um, I, I guess egomaniacs, uh, what I would say probably right up there as well. The, the folks that, that can't accept kind of like a counterpoint to my first one that can't accept that, that, uh, there are people within their organization who may be smarter than them, uh, who may have different life experiences that can help, you know, facilitate that. Um, they don't, I mean, it, they can't even be bothered to be talked to by somebody, um, in, in a lower grade or a lower, um, position within that organization. And I think they're missing out on, on a lot of not only learning lessons, but, um, ideas. So, and I, I ran into a few of those over, over my course of my military and police career. Um, I'm sure you have too, that, you know, if, if people just get out of their own way sometimes and, you know, just take everything in that's around them, um, it would help the organization as well as themselves as leaders. Last one. Oh, let's see. The last one I would say is our leaders and understand that, that, that leaders may not be the subject matter experts. Um, there, or, or they may not know everything that's going on within their company, but they have those people that are there for that. Um, the, the leaders, the third one I would say are the, are the, are the leaders who are not invested or, or I would, incompetent might be the right word. They, and they just don't want to take the time to either understand or ask the questions to learn um, because those questions are going to allow them to, uh, you know, make those, make those decisions. They don't have to know everything about, you know, if we're using a military example, you don't have to know everything about personnel. But when your S1 officer is telling you what's going on, 
either ask the question to, to get more of an answer or, or maybe go and, and figure stuff out on, on, on your own to be able to, once the information is received, make that decision. Um, so yeah, incompetency or laziness um, drove me nuts. Of course, I think General MacArthur said every good officer is just a little bit lazy. And what he meant by that was the, the tendency to delegate. But that's not what we're talking about yeah. here. We are talking about the lazy officer who doesn't want to develop, develop themselves, develop yep. their team. They, they're just, you know, they're just dirtbags. Yeah, and that's and, and that's probably a good way to put it. But those those folks that are around you, um, they're the ones that are providing that information and, you know, learn from them. Um, Take that, take that information, make the best decision. That's your job as a leader is to make that decision and take that information in and, and utilize it, get that analysis, take it from raw data, turn it into usable information. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for, for having for me. For coming this on the Veteran Led Podcast. Uh, it's great to have a fellow veteran, uh, a business owner, an entrepreneur, and someone who has just started the journey. And this is something different than probably what you've heard from some of our past guest episodes. This is someone who says, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And the lessons you're bringing are invaluable because uh, the older guys like me that have been doing this for a while, right? We forget how hard it is in the beginning. Yeah, And it, it really has been a challenge, but it's, it's also been very rewarding. Just like when you're starting out in the military and those challenges that you faced, um, and as you overcome them and you, as you continue to progress and you can look back to see where you've come from, it is rewarding. Thank you for joining us today on Veteran Led, where we pursue our mission of promoting veteran leadership in business, strengthening the veteran community, and getting veterans all of the benefits that they earn. If you know a leader who should be on the Veteran Led podcast, report to our online community by searching at Veteran Led on your favorite social channels and posting in the comments. We want to hear how your military challenges prepared you to lead your industry or community, and we will let the world know. And of course, hit subscribe and join me next time on Veteran Led.